Thank you for joining us for this episode of Journey Now, produced by Journey Church in Brentwood, Tennessee. For more information on Journey Church and our gatherings, visit journeytn.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome you to welcome. Journey Now, <laughs> to the Journey Now podcast. Uh, it's a rowdy crew today. It is summer. Uh, it's every bit of summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, every bit of summer. But you're here with us. That, that's why I'm room. saying you welcome, oh, oh, Michael. Yeah. Oh, yes. Because I, we've been doing this for a while, but you are now with us yes, in the room. I am no longer in, on the Zooms. I'm, I am in the room. We Gosh. can throw things. Yes. Totally. Yes. The the, the look of disdain and scorn. Yeah. Now it, it's not pixelated. It's yeah, yeah. like mm-hmm. 3D. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yes, we are. I am. My family is, we're residents of Franklin, Tennessee, ladies and gentlemen. Yep, mm-hmm. big deal, big Welcome. deal. And to sit across from my esteemed colleagues, Timothy Timmons. Thank you. Thank Susie, you. what's your middle name? Mm, there's a lot of them. Yeah. None of I know, business. but like, just, just <laughs> pick, choose one. Just pick one. Bazzotti. Yes! All right, and Alyssa, what's your middle name? Ann. Alyssa Ann. So proper. Oh. So proper. Oh, Alyssa Ann. Um, and then and then I'm Michael Carl. Yes. Um, yeah, it's so good. It's Tim, so good. middle name? Howard. Oh, Timothy Howard. Yep. Yeah, like Howard Stark. Uh, l- ladies and gentlemen, today we are going to continue exploring topics that, of relevance in our world. Today we're going to continue to potentially disagree with each other. Today. We are going to talk uh, a bit about race and about how to stand with our uh, brothers and sisters of color. And any time, I mean, just simply in virtue of the topics that we cover on this podcast, of course, people are going to disagree. Mm -hmm. So we, the the point isn't that you agree with any of us. The point is that we we think the church should be a place where these conversations should be normal, and that they can be had civilly. Uh, we never, ever, ever want to come across as mocking or ridiculing a position or a person. Um, and we never want to uh, give an impression that that people who disagree wouldn't be welcome at the table. Uh, we also hold strong opinions. And so, you know, that whole working out of how do you talk about these things when they're this explosive and do it in a way that welcomes people, but you still expresses kind of what you think. Uh, we're this is what this this whole thing is for. So we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit today about race, um, and then Susie is gonna host uh, an interview after this that we're very much looking forward to. So today, guys, Susie, you mentioned something uh, in your uh, teaching last week, at, right at the very beginning. You mentioned something called Juneteenth, mm-hmm. which. Uh, I didn't, and, and again, this is more of an expression of my ignorance than anything else, but it, it hasn't been till recently, yep. within the last two or three years, that I even knew that that was a thing, right, which is tragic. Mm-hmm. What is it, and, and what was the context of your mention of it? And then I just want to talk about why it is that we would uh, consider joining something like this. Yeah. Well, Juneteenth marks the day that we we commemorate the end of slavery in the United States. Mm. And um, it has to do with, you know, like the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, but it wasn't actually followed or put into place like the state immediately. immediately. Like yeah. it took, um, it's particular to the state of Texas. It took two years for, for them to actually 
release their slaves and and all of that. And so Juneteenth is the is is the day that we celebrate the actual end of it. Um, and the African American community has been celebrating it obviously for years because right. um, we have looked at it as part of their history. But mm. it's really part of our history as Americans collectively, yeah. collectively. Yeah, and so, um, but we we haven't collectively celebrated it, mm-hmm. um, and I would say we haven't collectively, um, you know, just done the celebrating. All that is involved in celebrating, like when you think about a celebration, like you acknowledge that mm-hmm. there is something to mm-hmm. celebrate. Yeah. And there's a lot in the acknowledgement and there's a lot in the celebrating, yeah. right? Yeah. And so so that hasn't um it's 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 been more of a thing in the last few years. Now African American churches, of course, are also known for celebrating it for years because mm. again, part of history. But um, you know, during times of slavery, African Americans had to create their own faith communities and then you just keep going on with the history of the United States and and why we have separation separate churches you know yeah. there's black churches white churches all the things I mean there's so many things we can unpack but but of course um, African American churches have been separ- celebrating this for years yeah. and particularly in Franklin where we have a lot of US history that happened like right here where mm. we live mm. and um, there's there's several groups of people, the African American Heritage Foundation, that where the Macklemore House is in, and that whole um, area just has so much amazing U.S. history mm. there. But they have been celebrating it for years. And this year, in light of all the things that have happened in our nation and all the protesting and all the, you know, awakening, so to speak, all the division that's occurred, Mm -hmm. the African-American churches in Franklin are being very mindful and intentional about inviting the whole community out for this celebration. Mm. And it's like bouncy houses, food, booths, um, Mm -hmm. just a family celebration. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, They've also invited churches to volunteer for for the event for like one hour time slots. But, But they've invited us to a table. And I brought it up because... One, we've been talking about racism and the church a lot this year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's wonderful to talk about something. It's wonderful to learn about things and to become more educated, but then to actually do something, move towards relationship, move towards reconciliation, move towards building something is a whole nother step. Mm -hmm. And to me, when they invited us to join them, I thought, well, gosh, this is an easy way to step into that and to join a table that we're not leading, that we're not in charge of, that, that we've been invited to hospitality is being shown to us. Mm -hmm. So why would we not want to participate in that? And so, um, it, it didn't have to do specifically with my message, but I wanted to bring it up at the beginning just to kind of unpack it a little bit because that's not like, why would a church celebrate that? That's unusual for us. And so to, to try to help, um, our community understand what that invitation actually is. And so what's the pushback? What, yeah. What, what would the pushback you got, you be? Got some, you got some. I got a little bit of feedback. Yeah. You know, um, I think one of the things that I have been, I feel or sense or whatever is that we're the the line between um, between 
gospel-centered living and um, political partisanship-centered living has become very fuzzy this year. And so the feedback I got from someone was they didn't understand why we would why we would promote or want mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. you know I I don't want to I don't want to assume they were questioning why we would celebrate that because I don't understand why. Right, it right. would be hard to celebrate the end of slavery right. in the United States. <laughs> right. But I think they felt like that their words were that we had sold out to yeah. political agenda. Sure. And, yeah. um, you know... And, I, not, and, and we've been accused of that yeah, prior to this. For sure. And, and I don't... I just... I think we see it as a image of God thing, as a kingdom of God thing. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess from every nation, every Mm -hmm. tribe and nation. So like, you know, um, the Bible is full of stories of ethnicities crossing lines and and Jesus being central to that. Um, And so, yeah, I just thought, you know. So there are, so there are, there are questions because... As with masks and vaccines mm-hmm. and diseases, mm-hmm. everything's become politicized. Yeah, we, sure. we've been discipled by 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 worldly politics, mm-hmm. and so even stepping into something like this is going to be confusing for sure for people. And I have just really been of the conviction lately that we need to bring conversation back in 2021. I mean, we've been talking about Timberlake brought sexy back <laughs> yeah. in the in yeah, the yeah. early. Yeah. Now Thank we're you. bringing I'm bringing conversation back. back. Just you. I mean, I want to be. I'm a part sorry. Of it. I think we're. we're I think all here. we all are. I think but Susie can I mean, be the face. Okay. You know, we can give her I mean, that. I kind of want to be on par with Timberlake. That's really my motive here. Okay. Well, some of us already are, but if you want to like, <laughs> go for that, yeah. that's fine. Well, I just that. think you Make know. So, so this person who who emailed, like, I genuinely want to. I would love to have coffee with that person because, or with it, you know, because I I want to understand like why is that so hard? Like, mm-hmm. why? Why is that? Why is that only a political issue in your mind? You know, and so and was the issue with us taking a side? Can you explain a little bit more? About I don't. I mean, it was a very short okay. email. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've sold out to a woke, progressive political agenda. Yeah, and here we are, kind of doing the white guilt thing. Hmm. Um, I mean, I'm reading into it, but that's the stuff that I hear. Yeah. And um, and that's the problem when this comes up. I mean, with everything, like, you know, CRT, you know, anything that has to do with this, it automatically, everyone's gears go up and, like, they want to know where to place it and mm-hmm. categorize you and who you are. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, can we just talk about it and try to understand each other a little more? Like, I would love to know why that's so offensive. And at the same time, like maybe they would love to know more. Maybe I didn't convey our heart well enough in that um, introduction. But, you know, I just think it's so important for us to talk and listen. And Right. All right. So let me interrupt you. Yeah. Uh, we've heard a lot from you today, Susie. I want to <laughs> wow. hear from, I want to hear from wow. Tim <laughs> and I want to hear from Alyssa. Why? What? I so, think he just told me to shut up. Totally. No, that's right. <laughs> it was very kind. It was kind, um, but also very direct. Yeah, well, and I mean, it was the truth. I have been talking the whole time. Yeah. It's well, I just, I just, you know, <laughs> if you're going to be the face of the conversation, yeah, then I think that you're bringing with conversation responsibility. Back. Yeah. yeah, she'll yeah. be available for autographs on yeah. Sunday. Yeah, but. exactly. <laughs> True. We'll unveil her. Just catch her at nine, nine a.m. 
<laughs> no, I friend. mean, so, 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 Tim, let's start with you. Let's, uh, what, what could you imagine people thinking that would cause them to hesitate over something like this? I mean, I think you could just rewind and listen to what Susie just said. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. Because I think she, Susie should talk more. Yeah. No, I, th- yeah, I think exactly. I think the same thing. I, I had a lunch with a really great gentleman this past week that has a lot of questions and is like, I don't know if I jump on board with all the things you guys are talking about. Mm-hmm. And I love that he's like, I want to stay in this conversation. I don't know if I feel comfortable in this conversation at the mm-hmm. table. Like he's like, I don't know if I'd feel comfortable at your table. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to, and I want to like walk with you in it and. So I thought that was beautiful. And yet, I think if he's listening to this, he's probably going, man, I am not in that. And I, I just, this I, this thing, I'm so baffled of why, if you just you know, go 50,000 feet up, it's celebrating that slavery is done. I mean, that's, that's just so simple to me. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I would, I would like to have more conversations with him or any of these people. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it does feel like we've been... That that simple conversation has been hijacked by something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just you know, just googling this, it's like, oh, that's what it is, right. and I celebrate the heck out of that. I mean, this is right. This is a party. Let's jump on board. And yet, I don't get how this is all of a sudden now. Well, all of a sudden, you are a Democrat because you. I mean, it's just, it's wild to me. So I, I'm, but I'm curious, and I'd love to have a conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think, Alyssa? I think that our response to things like this are important to note. I mean, I don't think that we need to, like, just speaking for myself, like, if, if there's something that comes across my my plate, <clears throat> for lack of a better word, and I go, oh, uh, that makes me feel uncomfortable, or I don't like that, or I'm having a visceral response to it. I mean, I think it's important that we remain curious within ourselves of, like, what? Like, let's ask the question. Let's remain curious of why that, what's the problem here? And I think because of the season that our country just went through, mm-hmm. it's very difficult for people to feel comfortable in, in that tension. And yeah. I would say that we're seeking to be uncomfortable. And so being at the table doesn't necessarily Good. mean we have to be comfortable. It just Good. means that we have to be curious and, and safe. Being safe and, and comfortable aren't the same thing. I think there's Mm -hmm. um, uncomfortable conversations and disagreements that can happen in a very safe and loving environment Mm -hmm. that make you feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, there's a lot of ideas that we discuss that make me feel very uncomfortable. And I always try to reflect on, like, that. that's me that feels uncomfortable. The idea in and of itself is it's neutral. So so what is it about my story that's making me react in a defensive way? And I, I think that, you know, everybody makes sense in the context of their story. Totally. So someone's coming to this event and, and it's triggering something within them. You just be curious to know what part of your story is making you feel threatened by that. Is there, have you been accused of being a racist? Does it feel uncomfortable to be in, in a room with people that are really different than you? Like all of those things are very valid experiences and valid emotions, but like stay curious about them. Try to find small ways to overcome maybe some of those fears or experiences or work through them mm-hmm. in the context of community, I think could be really powerful. So I love that. I think the idea is like, let's not seek for being comfortable. No growth comes in comfort, but how can we be uncomfortable in safety 
um, and loving environments. I think a lot of beauty can happen there. And so when we're engaging with new ideas or new concepts or things that make us feel uncomfortable, going with your friends or going with your church, they're providing you um, the community and the support that you need to experience things that maybe make you feel really uncomfortable and allow you to kind of expose some of those things within yourself in a really safe place, even when you feel uncomfortable. So I guess that would be my question is how can we join those two things together? So there's always going to be things that make you feel uncomfortable. I, I talk about race all the time as a very privileged white girl because I'm really passionate about it. But my story, my experience has been very diverse. I've been with people who look differently than me and I've had these experiences firsthand where I've seen the result of racism and how it's affected my friends, how it's affected kids that I've taken care of, like all of the above. So it's something that I'm very passionate about and I don't have a high tolerance for other people's discomfort in it. Mm -hmm. But that's because that makes sense in the context of my story when I've been entrusted with kids who, you know, don't have a safe place to go home at the end of the day, but I have to send them home. You know, there's, it all makes sense if you ask the right questions and if you sit in that. So... I just think that there's a lot of beauty in, in staying curious, even when we're uncomfortable. Yeah. Susie, you hinted, I think that's great. Susie, you hinted at kind of the biblical case for this. Mm-hmm. Right. Like this is a this is a discipleship issue. This right. is not a political right. issue. Could mm-hmm. you explore that a little more? Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, you can read through, you can read through the Gospels and you can see the progression of Jesus showing who he came for, that it wasn't just Israel. And then you can read through Acts and you can see the progression of the disciples being, you know, sent out right away, Jerusalem, Judea, the ends of the earth, you know, you can see the story of Peter and Cornelius. You can see the centurion at the at the foot of the cross saying, being the one who sa- who's saying, surely this was the son of God. Like so so there's this like this birthing pain of God coming for not just one nation, not just one group of people, not just one ethnicity. And yet as it goes out, there's always conflict you know there's always resistance as it goes out and yet you know john three sixteen says it very plainly you know that god sent his son for the world and um i you know i think how do we do that and i mean there's there's a lot of people who say well the answer is the gospel the answer is the gospel and I, I had a wonderful conversation with my neighbor recently, and she was just lamenting about a lot of things, and she just kept saying, like, this is a sin issue, and the answer is the gospel. And and I agree with that wholeheartedly, but I want to take that a step further. So, like, then what does that look like? Yeah. How, do we, how do we live that out today? Like, how do I, as an Iranian-American immigrant who has become a Christian and lives in Franklin, Tennessee, (laughs) how do I live that out today in my context? How do I live the gospel out, live that into the world that God has put me in with all the conflict that's happening around me? Like, what does that actually look like? I... For the sake of conversation, I would say that it is taking a side. 
Um, I think Christians have come, maybe the church would be a general, a better generalization. The church has tried to stay neutral, and I think that's actually the issue. Um, I think you have to take a side. Um, we don't have to make it political if nobody wants to. By nature, it is political. And I don't really have an issue with that. I don't know why that's been demonized. But, well, I do know why. But <laughs> it's not the point. The point is, I think Jesus took a side. And I think by very nature of um, staying neutral, you are, um, you are oppressing people. So say more about Jesus took a side. Like, spell that out a little bit more. Um, I mean, Jesus wasn't neutral when he saw women being treated unfairly and with disrespect. I mean, anybody, not just women, mm-hmm. all any oppressed people. He was, he took a side. He took the side of the oppressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't take the side of the religious. Um, and he, he rebu- rebuked the religious. Um, I thought it was interesting. I saw somebody posted on social media the other day. She said, um, in the Bible, it says that if you are with Jesus, that the world will hate you. And I thought that was interesting because I think... Didn't the, Jesus say that, actually? Yeah. Yeah, yeah she quoted the scripture verse. Okay. Do you know what it is? In the Bible. In the yeah. Bible. I yeah, know, yeah. but keep going. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was like, ah, don't yeah. quiz me. Um, yeah, and I just it struck me because I thought... Who hated Jesus? It wasn't the sinners. It wasn't the quote-unquote people who were drinking and, you know, roughhousing. Smoking. Smoking. And some weed. Housing. There was a lot of roughhousing. Oh, roughhousing. Opium. Roughhousing. Dancing. Dancing. Yeah. Dancing. Yeah. It's a total eclipse of the heart as a seventh grader. Yeah. Oh, wow. With, with a big things. comb in his back pocket. Having sex. Where did we go with this? <laughs> but it wasn't those people. It wasn't those people. It was... It was the religious elite. And so I just, I saw the irony in that moment because I was like, you're using scripture to tell me that the world should hate me, but you're coming from the world that hated Jesus. And let's just take a minute and consider that. Like mm-hmm. there ha- there just, there's complexity here. And I think that there's uh, a need to remember that having and taking a side isn't, isn't negative and well, it's actually part of the solution yeah and i think hate is a really interesting and strong word and a it's a good word i think you know in the in the spirit of remaining curious i think it's it's important to acknowledge that like you know i have a friend <laughs> one of my best friends growing up she's my age and she's blonde and her name is karen <laughs> It's a bummer for And her. she said, yeah. She goes, do you know how difficult it is to be a white middle-aged woman named Karen right now? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't, I'm, I'm I so sorry. I know. <laughs> I know. But, you know, I think, and I've heard people say that lots of times, like it's really hard to be, it's really difficult to be a white man in America right now. Now, like, I don't want to, I'm, I'm, let me just separate that from the shelf of what it's been like to be a person of color in, in America. This is a separate, I'm separating the issue here and that there is, there is another side that feels some pain and discomfort that they are maybe not used to. Um, and, and so that's bringing up something. So let's, I, I want to acknowledge that and encourage 
the curiosity yeah. of that because they're no longer benefiting from the privilege that has always protected them. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. yeah. But for but but I think there might be some um I I just think like in order if we are going to be people who truly are about reconciliation and unity, we have to give space for everyone, you know? And we have to give space for everyone's story to, um, you know, for the curiosity to come about, like you said in the beginning, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with you, Alyssa, but I, I think I just want to, I know for a lot of people this year has been a big shock because there are things like, I didn't know about the Tulsa massacre until Mm. a year and a half ago. Like Mm. there are things that like we didn't know and things that we're all learning. And so that's those are some of these things are really big pills to swallow. And when you have been living for, you know, years and thinking a certain way and thinking you see the world in a certain way and you're being shaken, like um, there is there is some um, grace that needs to be found in, in helping people come to the place where they can see things the way Jesus might see them. Great. Excellent stuff, guys. Thank you. Um, we're going to wrap think? it up. What? What do you think? Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, you were pretty quiet today. First day in the office. I, I'm normally pretty quiet on these, I thought. Except for last, last week. Last week you weren't. <laughs> last week we were. We were enjoying it. <laughs> what do you think? You got a little, any parting thoughts? I think that... Um, the people who say that it's a sin issue on race do not say that same thing on abortion. Um, they have no problem being politically active there and seeing that as a systemic evil. Uh, but somehow when it gets flipped to race, it becomes a, just a sin issue. Secondly, it is a gross misunderstanding of the New Testament that the somehow race isn't part of the gospel. Like, Paul's letters. Just read them. Just pick them up. They're all, I mean, literally, just read them and see how much they have to do with ethnicity and the reordering of social relationships away from the hierarchy and the division of Roman culture. So, so those that were marginalized are brought to the center. Those that had been centralized were brought to the margins. I mean, this is what the gospel does. It creates a people. Mm-hmm. And that people is reordered away from every, uh, every human judgment and value. Um, and so the church becomes, is to be, in its very nature, the new humanity where the previous distinctions no longer hold. And so the tragic part is when you have one section of the church not listening to another section of the church or listening with skepticism and judgment and condemnation. We don't reflect the new humanity at all. We actually we actually are just falling back into the old creation mm-hmm. dynamics that have plagued human beings from the very beginning. So so this is a central issue to the gospel. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians, this is what shows the powers and principalities, the vindication of God. Like the multi-ethnic new humanity church is what vindicates God in the sight of the powers and principalities. And so um, the fact that we have a hard time even celebrating 
something very very simple i mean that 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 uh that that at, like you said at the 50,000 foot level yeah. we would all just go yeah well of course i mean that's mm-hmm. freaking yeah the fact that that becomes difficult for us um shows that we've been discipled in other directions than gospel directions right and so that's me and that's us that's not indicting that's not yeah. white guilt that this is what discipleship looks like the reordering of social relations mm-hmm. that is central to the work of the gospel so between male and female between jew and greek which was the ethnic division um between slave and free which was status um so all of those things are reordered in the church so um the refusal to do that i mean in and, and this is what this is why paul went after peter in galatia um peter stopped eating with gentiles when jews came um and and paul calls him out and says you are betraying the gospel mm-hmm. by by distancing yourself wow. from um this by by reinforcing this cultural barrier and so we we have quite honestly these uh the the and it's you know it's everywhere but for me i've betrayed the gospel if i have not pursued what the new humanity actually looks like in its multi-ethnic multi-gender multi-generational forms and so much of the church environment i grew up in was you segmented everybody you've got the married people yeah. over here over 50 so they're the empty nesters then you have the married people with kids and then you have the single people who are young single people who are old they, they get a very special place you know i mean and and literally you by american definitions of efficiency and effectiveness you segment the new humanity into its lowest common denominators and what an offense mm. so this so so by going to juneteenth um even if you are confused about it you are simply opening yourself up to the possibility that we have something to learn and we have uh, something corporately to repent of it is okay to tell the truth about our country and still love it. In fact, that is an act of love yep. right. for country. Yes. Right. And um, and so the most patriotic thing we can do, and th- this is this is right. That same analogy holds true with discipleship. The most the most Jesus focused thing I do is tell the truth about myself. Right. That's mm-hmm. not against my love of Jesus. It's because of it. And so it's because mm. I love America that I want to reckon. Yeah. Rightly. Yeah. With that's wh- so good. What's Mike. happening? So. That's so I sit and I want to have loads of grace because I'm new to this, mm-hmm. right? I, yep. I'm like you. I mean, Susie, when you like the Tulsa thing, I just found out last yep. year. Mm-hmm. Juneteenth, another great example. And I'm sitting here going, holy crap. Not only is that my ignorance, mm-hmm. but there's also a systemic wiping away of these things yes. so that it took, it took this cultural upheaval to even bring them uh, to the attention of yeah. people like myself. So all that is to say, I mean, there's... There's such good uh, stuff here that is gospel. This mm-hmm. is gospel, and um, and please don't please don't let people talk you out of that. That is, read the New yeah. Testament. Don't read it as an individual manual for salvation because it's not that. This is about how churches are to reflect Jesus, mm-hmm. and how they relate racially. Uh, along gendered lines and along status lines is central to the whole story. So if you're somebody and you're skeptical, um, I don't know. I, I, it, it might be just a great thing, like Alyssa said, to open mm-hmm. yourself up to, okay, 
Yeah. Let's see what this is. So, anyway. so go celebrate Juneteenth if you're local in the city of Franklin from 10 to 4 p.m. Yeah. The events oh, which, are which, happening. Which date? June 19th. That's a Saturday. The events are happening over at Pinkerton Park and also in the square in downtown Franklin. There's a gala the night before. Um, there is um, a church service on Sunday happening at... Um, do we have it on the it's World all Interwebs? on the www.journeytn.com. Perfect. I just have a question. Mike, what do you think about Juneteenth? I, I, I'm a fan of bounce houses and galas. Dude, you had me at gala. So anyway, thanks, thanks uh, for listening and tuning in. Um, like you, we're just trying to figure this stuff out and, and discern what it means to be faithful to Jesus in this day and age of such craziness so we love your feedback uh if you're willing to share rate like subscribe all that stuff is super helpful until next time friends thank you hey everyone we want to thank you for listening to our conversations and for participating with us by sending your thoughts on how you've been wrestling with these same topics as we learn to live as followers of Jesus integrated in the world he's placed us in. As always, like, screenshot, and share these episodes with your friends, and leave us a review so that these episodes can become more available to more people. My interview today is with our own Alyssa McNally. You've gotten to know her bit by bit in our conversations, and today Alyssa opens up about her own story. She tells us what it was like growing up in her home and how her faith has grown and taken shape throughout her life thus far. I know you're going to enjoy getting to know Alyssa, so without further ado, here we go. Hey everyone, I am here with our beloved... So beloved, <laughs> Alyssa Dixon McNally, but you're not really Alyssa Dixon McNally. You didn't keep the Dixon part, right? Nope, I didn't at the time. Alyssa Ann. Maybe McNally? I'll add it back in one day. It's just Alyssa Ann McNally. Alyssa all over. Ann McNally. So if you're listening to this podcast, you're already very familiar with Alyssa's voice. She brings so much to our table on Wednesday mornings. Um, so we're using this time. I, I have known Alyssa now for, I don't know, a few years. And she has become a very, very dear, dear friend of mine. And um, we wanted to give some space for all of you listeners who may not really know Alyssa too well beyond the podcast to just get to know a little bit of her and her story. So thank you, Alyssa, for being willing to put in some extra time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking me. Okay, so cat's out of the bag. Everyone knows you're Kevin Dixon's daughter. No big secret there. We don't do anything to hide that. Not at all. Mm -mm. It's not even something you're ashamed of. No, I like him. <laughs> That's awesome. We like him too. So tell us about that. Tell us about growing up as um, a Dixon and what that was like for you in terms of your inherited faith. We all have so many, um, some of us grew up in Christian homes and we have different perceptions of what it is to be a pastor's daughter. Some, some of our listeners may have been pastor's kids at some point too, but 
every experience is unique. So tell us about your experience and what that was like for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, I mean, like you said, everybody has different experiences and how people choose. And as I have had a child, I've realized like how many different options we really do have when it comes to how we choose to, um, you know, raise our kids. And I think that's really um, a beautiful thing. And my parents, um, I think, did a ton right. And I, I don't know how many kids really get to say that about their parents. But um, I really enjoyed um, being in the church and being a part of the group of people that my dad led. So he was at like a bigger church when I was much younger. I don't remember a lot of that. And then he uh, planted a church when I was like in upper elementary school. So I do remember that transition Mm -hmm. and just watching my dad kind of cultivate a new community of faith and just, uh, you know, he set the tone for how people approached me and how they talked to me and, and what I wanted and got to do. And so really the things that I was interested in and the things I felt passionate about were things that I was allowed to pursue. But I was one of those kids that was really actually interested in theology and loved to teach Sunday school and take care of kids. And I would always go to like the small groups and babysit the kids. And I was, I was heavily involved, but it was because I wanted to, it wasn't because I was forced to be, Mm -hmm. Um, they sent me to a small Christian school. So I grew up literally from preschool to graduating college. I was in a small Christian school environment. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, Christianity and, um, all of its complexities and, you know, all of the good things and all the bad things I was around 24 seven. Um, Mm -hmm. and at home, it wasn't something that was like, constantly shoved down my throat. Now I have an assumption that my parents were pretty like intentional about the fact that like we got a lot of this content day in and day out at church and at school. So I'm assuming they weren't like when you're at home, we're also going to read the Bible every 15 minutes, right. and, you know, memorize verses as a family. Like that wasn't really something that we did, but um, we always talked about like ideas and it was always like contextual with what was going on. So it's like in moments of discipline or, um, you know, things, things of that nature more so than like, here's the formula that we, we yeah. Play so in. it was more like infused in everyday life. Yeah. Very yeah. Which I always really liked. Yeah. And it was never too much. Like I wasn't like, oh, this is the worst. Like I don't want to do it. And mm-hmm. there was like a season of time where like socially things were a little weird in my youth group. And I still remember to this day, my dad was like, you don't have to go. Like, don't go if you don't want to go. And I was mm. like, what do you mean? He was like, you don't just have to go. Cause I'm your, I'm your dad. Like you go to like another youth group. Like you don't also have to go to our youth group. If they're like being mean to you, like, don't go. It's fine. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. Like, oh, okay. So, I mean, he was just like always very like empowering to me and allowed me to kind of make my own choices. And like had the conversations with me to, to, you know, help me learn and discover what I believed. So I oftentimes fell on different, um, still do fall on different sides of the coin on theological ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, but we like growing up, my dad was on the ordination council for, um, the evangelical free church, which is a denomination more popular on the East coast. Yeah, and West, Coast West Coast too. Coast, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike came from. It's not really a southern part thing. of the Navy Free for a while. 
Yeah, it's not mm-hmm. a southern thing, but it is the, maybe just northern. But, um, yeah, so we would go to those. I always wanted to go, like, even when I was, um, like, in middle school and early so high wait, school. So, wait, 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 you're a time. middle schooler who wanted to go to ordination meetings with your pastor dad. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, totally. I just, I found it all really interesting and fascinating, yeah. and I would read um, theology books. I would write extra papers in school and in history class and Bible class. And it was just what I liked to talk about. It's what I like to research. It's mm-hmm. like, I, I know the Bible, like the back of my hand. It's, it's something that was very dear to me. It was always a positive. So when you found yourself falling on different, um, in different places, theologically with your parents, what was that like for you? Mm-hmm. Were you like, did you ever were you ever fearful of that or did it make you nervous or what was that like? Not really. Um, In the beginning it was more, I was more conservative and more like um, I had Bible teachers and mentors in my life that were very um, conservative in their viewpoints. They were Calvinists. And um, so I think I was just influenced by the people that I was spending a lot of time with. So the other people in my life that I was talking about those ideas with were, were on Mm -hmm. the other side of the coin. So they were even more conservative than your dad was at the time. Oh yeah. Significantly. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, my dad was always kind of pushing the limits of the evangelical free church Mm -hmm. and trying to get them to think you know, outside of the box on some things that, you know, weren't necessarily helpful positions. So, um, yeah, I was even more conservative than him, but that's because, I mean, the environments that I were, was in, even in college, cause I went to the evangelical free college, mm-hmm. <laughs> very conservative. So my whole experience, um, outside of my house was, um, hyper conservative. That's so interesting. So then what changed? Because, I mean, our listeners don't see you that way. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that I'm definitely not conservative. That is for sure. Um, so, I mean, going to college was kind of like the first step of like, um, women are definitely not treated equal um, mm-hmm. in my dad's church. Um, though there wasn't like a pastor that was a woman, my dad treats women as equals and always yes, has. He, he treats my mom as his equal. Mm-hmm. And like in our household, um, I know mm-hmm. I've talked about this before on the podcast, but like my mom and my dad were always equal. And that was always very clear to me. And even if you would have asked me my theological um, stance on that, I probably would have told you something a little bit different than that. But, but like practically it was like, no, that's, we're equal. Like that's kind of a, a disconnect there for me. based on those two things but when I was in college that was definitely uh where I started to notice that like there was a script that Mm. in order for me to thrive in this community in order for me to be able to um have the kind of social status I'm used to having um the kind of influence that I want in the room I have to be this type of woman it's a submissive Mm -hmm. woman it's sweet it's gentle it's very, um, it's very submissive. Submissive is the, the most concise word mm-hmm. for what was required of me. Well, um, and submissive people, was defined a certain way, wouldn't you say? That's not always, I mean, anyway, we could go sure. into that whole, that's a, that's yes, a different we podcast. Could. <laughs> we could, but it was just like very, um, stay quiet, stay small, mm-hmm. um, don't take up a lot of room in the room. 
Um, yeah, which and- I do want to kind of interject with that. I'm sorry. I just feel a little unction to interject with that because I think that that word is very problematic for a lot of people. And so mm-hmm. when you use that word in that context, it's the way that it was handed to us that if you're submissive, that you defer always to the men in the room, whether it's your husband, the leaders, whatever, when in fact the Bible yeah, yeah. calls us all to submit to one another and submissive, being submissive is actually preferring another person. It's, um, it's, putting other people first, their, their needs and their flourishing. It's a more selfless um, way of being, but not at the detriment of your own personhood. And um, Mm -hmm. I actually experience you that way. That's part of what I wanted to say, just having worked Mm -hmm. with you uh, very closely in different ways throughout the last couple of years. And even like in our, just as a friend, the things that we've talked about, we share our lives together. I do actually experience you as someone who puts other people's needs and flourishing above your own. So good job. Well, it's kind of you to say. (laughs) (laughs) It just, that word just really has come to bother me over the years because I think we've just been handed some awful definitions of what it means. And so we want to forsake the whole idea of it because we have an incorrect belief about it. But Anyway, we can do that on another podcast, but carry on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could definitely, we could do a whole series. On yeah. It, <laughs> um, but no, it's like, it's, it's true. I mean, and culture is so specific and, and when we use certain words, they mean different things in, in different spaces. Yeah. So I appreciate the clarification for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that, that was kind of the beginning of, of my disruption, I think, to, mm-hmm. to this thing. So I like started to kind of, um, I'm a three on the Enneagram for those of you that don't know, we tend to um, just rise to the occasion of, of what we need to do in order to win in those rooms instead of necessarily staying true to who we are. Um, and so I did, and it just made me feel like I was suffocating and not myself. So mm. um, it was, that was kind of the, um, what lit um, the deconstruction in some ways. Um, but it wasn't until I moved to Nashville that I started to interact and experience people that were looking and searching for meaning and belonging, uh, but weren't Christians. And I started to just have like genuine relationships with a lot more people who thought a lot differently than me for the first time in my life. Because Mm -hmm. um, when I graduated college, I worked in a Christian company a publishing house. I was a Christian publishing house as a marketer. And then when we moved here is the first time I was in like a truly, for lack of a better word, secular environment. And so um, I was working for a, a news outlet that basically we are, our whole, whole concept was we look at the news from the context of meaning um, and like everything means something and mm-hmm. what does that look like? And so it was a very, very, uh, weird exercise for me to have to write stripped away from, um, a Christian context. Like I wasn't allowed to talk about Christianity or my belief in God while I was talking about my response to what was going on in the world. I just had to speak to it. That would be really that hard. The first time. Yeah, that would be really yeah. hard. So did you move here with your husband or were you not married yet? Oh, yeah. I got married when I was 21. Okay. So I got married as soon as I graduated college. We lived for a year in Chicago, mm-hmm. a little over a year. And then we moved here. Okay. Yep. 
So Sean, um, my husband, it was a pastor at the time. He pastored at a small Baptist church in Chicago. And then uh, when we moved here, he was in seminary full time to um, get his master's in homiletics. And then um, he was working as a campus pastor here. Okay. And then you guys ended up starting a, I mean, did you call it a church? I mean, did you call it a? No, we called it a nonprofit. Okay. So talk, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, after we moved here and while Sean was in school, he started a, um, a residency program at Brentwood Baptist, which is a large mega church here in Nashville. Um, they have several different campuses and they have a residency program. Um, so we went through that residency program and we met a guy named Jason Dukes. Um, mm-hmm. And he started to really, it was actually like, I was starting to deconstruct my faith faith right in the middle of that, which Brentwood Baptist is extreme. It's a Baptist church. It's extremely conservative. And I was just like, I cannot believe that we're going mm-hmm. to this church. But like, I'm playing along because, well, it's, I mean, I'm very committed to my husband. So yeah, to support him and, and to also just like, you know, see the, see through what we started. So we had to go, we were required to go to a small group, which I already hated small groups. <laughs> and he was like, we're required to go. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he was like, sorry. And I was like, it's fine. So we go and we sit down and Jason Dukes was the leader of the small group. We're big My fans great. of Jason Dukes. Big fans of Jason Extremely Dukes. big fans. Mm-hmm. So we sit down and um, he just starts asking the group these extremely hard questions and is just like forcing these, you know, they're all seminary grads who have like all this Bible knowledge, like requiring them to answer questions about what it actually means to be a Jesus follower and like, isn't satisfied with their seminary answers. And it's just making people think outside of the box. And um, he's just like, what does it actually mean to follow Jesus? Like it it Mm -hmm. has to be more than like a Sunday morning experience. Like Jesus was against the religious in a lot of ways. Like, do you see that, you know, but he does it in this extremely gentle, thoughtful, provoking manner where you're like, I can't be mad at you. You're just so kind. Um, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. he has an amazing like tenderness, <clears throat> humility that mm-hmm. allows you to approach him with um, a great amount of a tenderness. And yeah. so I find it to be very um, fortunate that as I was beginning this deconstruction of my faith and what I believed, I got to do that in the context of Jason, because he had already, I think I'm speaking for him. He can speak to this if we ever have him on, but he, I think had already deconstructed and reconstructed. And so he was trying to get some Baptists to deconstruct. Mm -hmm. And so he like was, I was like, I'm already there. And he's asking me the questions that like my heart is longing for, because I don't want to abandon all, but I'm coming to this place where I'm realizing the church isn't really asking the questions that I'm asking. What were some of those questions? Can you remember? Like when you say those are the questions your heart was longing for, what were those? Um, Why can't my like friends who think differently belong here? 
Mm-hmm. Um, why can't the LGBTQ plus community um, belong here? Why can't, um, why is there this whole narrative about Jesus's life that is largely ignored, but we focus on these rules that are taken largely out of context in the New Testament and um, hold them over people's heads and make sure that they are are doing all of these rules that you know, that wasn't even the intent of the original letter, but like we've decided that those are the things that we have to live by. Like those types of questions where it's like, if we start to really just look at the text for what it is in the context of what it is and really read it, like how did we get so far away from that original intent mm-hmm. um, and look how it has created a culture within Christianity and like, mm-hmm. what are the things that we want to keep and what are the things that we don't want to keep? Um, and how can we truly create places of belonging where, where people truly can belong no matter mm-hmm. what they believe on the spectrum. And for mm-hmm. me, that really mattered because I think I realized that so many people want to belong. So many people um, have an understanding of meaning, have an understanding of um, something that is bigger than themselves, but they lack all the answers to the questions and they're asking hard questions, but there's no place for them to do that in the context of community because the church is scared of those questions. Mm-hmm. And I'm asked, like, as someone who was like, I know not to ask those questions because I know the textbook answer that I'm going to get back. Yeah. Like, I know it. Like, I wrote the papers on it. Like, I mm-hmm. did the theological background work on this answer to the real question that I have. But those answers are no longer satisfying to me because I've come to a new understanding of humanity. And what do I do with that? Mm-hmm. So I think those were the types of questions yeah. <laughs> that I was wrestling with. Of just yeah. like, I, my evolution and understanding of and my experience with humanity is what shifted, what changed. Mm-hmm. And my understanding of the Bible and um, what I had been taught for my whole life wasn't congruent with my actual experience. Mm-hmm. And so I had to start breaking down those two different things. Up mm-hmm. until that point, it hadn't been challenged that badly. Yeah. So you guys, out of that group, some so out of that time with Jason, you started apostrophe, right? Yeah, we started and that, apostrophe, and that was the place where you started to 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 kind of create a environment where all those questions and all that experience was welcome, right? Yeah. So um, basically, we were like, let's blow up what it means to to be a part of a church, because um, mm-hmm. because I think there's. Well, especially in the South, there's just like, oh, like we go to this building, we have this experience, but mm-hmm. but what if the church is something much bigger than that? We watch um, Jesus do this this life of eating and drinking with people, walking with people, having just like normal life uh, with people, um, and it's it's less about you know studying the religious scriptures and more about communing, more about answering hard questions, telling good stories, um, and, and sharing meals together. So I think that, yeah, that was like our main goal 
was to mm-hmm. reorient around the life of Jesus um, and recreate experiences where anyone could come and be a part of of those types of experiences. Because the one thing that I have I had found and Sean had found is no matter what, even if we don't believe the same thing, what we want is to belong. What we want is to be together. What we want is a safe place to to be who we are and who we are becoming and to ask the questions that we have and to not actually find answers. Yeah. Like that wasn't what we were looking well, for. And like we're not being, necessarily looking for answers. Yeah. So you like, here you are, this person who has all these questions that your heart is longing to ask or, you know, longing to hear someone else ask. And then, and then you're creating this environment where you're not looking for answers. Like at some point, do you become okay with not having those answers? And like, what is that yeah. all about? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that was a large part of it. Like, uh, no, mm-hmm. no one here has all the right answers. And so creating an environment like that is, is odd because you're saying like, it's actually just like, a discovery process that we're all in it together. This isn't mm-hmm. like Sean has all the right answers because he went to seminary and he's the owner of the nonprofit, like, right. Or the founder of the nonprofit. It's like, no, like we all have the same types of questions about the world. And like, instead of trying to figure them out alone, let's do it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's share in like this exchange of ideas and do it in a, like a safe and loving environment. Um, and where it's okay to disagree and it's okay to not, mm-hmm. you know, have all the right answers. That that was kind of the goal. So what what it looked like practically is we had art shows um, where people came and shared their art. So there was like usually four to five different types of artists. So it was like poets, musicians, um, painters. We had, I mean, dancers, everything, anything you can imagine underneath mm-hmm. art we had. Um, and they would come and, and have a discussion around like what they were creating and what they were doing and they could present their work. Um, so that was really cool. And then we also had, that was probably my favorite, but then we just would have dinners at our house all the time where people would just come and hang out. Mm-hmm. Um, we had like people that would always come, but then, um, eventually it started to be at other people's houses and mm-hmm. just, uh, eating food together and hanging out. Um, and then we did, um, some book clubs and all sorts of different iterations of what it meant to be uh, in community with each other. Mm. That's awesome. It was a lot of fun. It it was great. And that season came to an end. Mm -hmm. And then... Yeah, so... Yeah, that's that's the dot dot dot, right? It uh, it did. We we invited some people into the space that... um, really wanted to to have the right answers they wanted to have the textbook answers um and so eventually it got to the point where that kind of destroyed what we had created so Mm -hmm. it was um that was hard it was a morning for me and sean um a lot of the people that we had invited in who we really enjoyed being with left because we invited some people in who were for lack of a better way of saying it, a little too Baptist. Like they just weren't okay with the gray. They weren't okay with living in the gray. They wanted yeah. it to be black and white. Like verb, I think, you know, when we first talked to them and when we first started to partner with them from Brentwood Baptist, they were very, they said the right things. But when push came to shove and they were forced to be in the gray with people, um, it just didn't, it didn't work. 
Um, and there was a lot mm-hmm. of hurt that happened as a result of that pushback. Yeah. So, so if you, okay, so there's, I think that's a really good thing you bring up because, you know, it's, it's really hard for a lot of people to, to live in the gray or to be willing to step into the gray. You know, like we, it's hard. Like we want, I mean, all of us are kind of like we, most of us, I should say, like we like black and white. We like answers. They're comfortable. They're, they give us security, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, like, you know, you've mentioned the word deconstruction a bunch and we know that that's become like, you know, a, a buzzword now, you know? Mm-hmm. So True. like, how, how do you, if you, okay. So if you were, say you, those people that you were just talking about that needed the answers and, and all that, that had a hard time. Yeah. Really great. If you were outside of the situation and you were talking to them and trying to encourage and advise them about like how to live with people in the gray, what would you say to the, to them? Hmm. That's a great question. It's hard for me to separate myself from that. Because I hear a lot of people now say, like, I'm just so tired of being in the gray or, you know, being with people in the gray. Like, like almost like there's like a timeline here. Like, there's like a, (laughs) do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think I sense, I sense that a, a bit. And yeah. I get that. I I hear that. And I have uh, I I hesitate to say a lot in these situations because I remember being very black and white about mm-hmm. the ways that I viewed these things. Like genuinely so black and white. I was mm-hmm. stubborn. I was very like sure. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to people that were in the gray, which is where I sit. And thinking that the way that they spoke to me was very arrogant and very off-putting. And so it, I like, am, I hear myself wanting to say the things that were said to me then that were so unhelpful to me at the time. And that's why I'm always like, I don't know what I would say because I remember having conversations like, in the reverse and Mm -hmm. nothing that the other person said was helpful to me. Like, I was just like, you are so far gone that like it, what's the point of this conversation? Like, and so it's weird to like to be in that position now and to talk to other people that are, were in the spot that I was in. And I, and I think, and I remember people saying to me, like, I don't think that I'm better than you, but I was like, well, it sure seems like you do. Um, and I, I never want to take that position because I don't think that it's like, I am better than you. Yeah. I do think like, that's not where I'm at, but I do think that it is less scary to be in the black and white. I mean, my whole life I was given a very specific playbook of like, this is what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to act. This is like, if you do these things, X plus Y equals whatever the answer is like I think it's a plus b equals c is <laughs> what I was looking for that. a plus b equals c and now I'm like x plus y equals I don't know <laughs> but, uh, but it was it was easy it was safe it felt like if I do all these things I know what is going to happen I have control I have 
a sense of knowing and, and it, it all felt really great. And I spent years mourning the loss of the box. Mm-hmm. And that sounds arrogant. I, I know that because I remember people telling me that too. And it's, it's different for different people. And I don't think we can, I think yeah. it's experiential. I think there's certain things that cause us to move out of the box and back into the box. Mm-hmm. And some people would say that my gray is a box. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we can play the intellectual games all you want, but I think the most important question that you can ask is, is why not? What well, what's wrong with the gray? What happens when you stop looking at things in the box that you've always done it? What, what, like yeah. what comes up for you? You know, are you scared? Are you, fearful of something? Are you fearful of losing control? Are you fear of the unknown? Like those are the things that are like really real Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and are totally legitimate parts of the conversation and are often left out. Yeah, that's good. So how do you stay curious? How do you stay curious? I mean, by staying uncomfortable. How do you stay curious? (laughs) (laughs) that's funny. I, I, I'm a naturally curious person. I don't think I've ever been, you know, yeah. my dad always said, like, I was always an observer of things. Like, I would always take in everything that was around me. I'm mm. a curious person by nature, um, which is, you know, a personality trait. But I also, like, my big big mantra for me is always surround yourself with people who think differently than you mm-hmm. and be around people who've had different experiences than you. Yeah. Because if you can be around those types of people that challenge the way that you see things, you're going to have more empathy. You're going to have more intellect. You're going to have more stories that help you make sense of the world. Yeah. And so I would say that that helps me stay curious and it helps me not be so black and white because I'm like, well, if I hear your experience as a homosexual or as a, you know, African-American male driving down the street, like those are stories and real experiences that in the context of an actual relationship really helped me to change my mind or to mm-hmm. um, have empathy for different viewpoints. Well, and how does it work for you when, because I know you have people in your family and in your friend circle. I mean, I'm one of those people who is on a different place in at a different place than you are. I'm more conservative than you are about a lot of things. I think we think differently theologically, you and I, in our friendship, yeah. but we have a great mm-hmm. friendship. So, and I always feel welcome at your table. How do you do that? Because I think that's hard for people. And you, like, you're talking about, you're talking about people even more progressive than you now in the examples that you just mm-hmm. gave. How do you do it yeah. with people who are more conservative than you in issues that we've been talking a lot about, like theologically and, and socially and stuff like that. Yeah. I think, um, I love them. I mean, I think there's different relationships like you and I have like a very, like we have a lot of mutual respect for each other. Like Mm -hmm. just because we don't agree on things doesn't mean that I don't value your perspective or like don't take time to hear what you're thinking about and, where you are in the process. Like Mm -hmm. you can go so far in the other direction that you miss the other side. So it's like, Mm -hmm. you don't want to go so that you become the other side. That's what I mean to say. Um, So it's like, obviously like I've got to know, I've got to be around you because you think differently than me. And I have a lot of really close friends that like still believe the same way we did when we were in college. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I'm still like in close relationship with them, like talk to them regularly. 
Um, and I would say that like, it's a mutual respect of like, I, I still respect who they are and I love them mm-hmm. and I love what they bring to, to my life. Um, mm-hmm. to have a radical love for other people and a love for Jesus to, I think unites above like differences. Like at the end of the day, like I'm not going to surround myself with people who don't love others. Um, and that's kind of my, my like mm-hmm. cutoff point. It's like one thing, if we disagree, like that's totally fine. But if you're going to be hateful or unwelcoming to people and not loving towards them, then like, that's mm-hmm. going to be an issue for me. Yeah. So, like if you and I are like, because of our love for Jesus and our love for each other are going to love others radically, then like, we can get over the details. Like, That's what I let's love let about that you. go. <laughs> Those I know. are semantics. They really are. Um, but if we're going to like love like Jesus did, like, who cares about the rest? Yeah. And I will say, as your friend, I love the way you have stretched my imagination and my thinking, and even pushed me. Like, I, you know, I may like. There are certain things that we talk about that I haven't necessarily moved a position on, so to speak, but you've pushed me to really understand my why. And so that's Mm -hmm. amazing because even though we don't agree, you pushed me to kind of really know why I think the way I do about some things, which is pretty awesome. And um, I appreciate people who can think well about things. Like, it's like, even if we don't agree, like if you're mm -hmm. thinking about it and you're asking questions, like that's the fun part for me. It's like, we might land in different places, but like, let's think about it. Let's talk about it together. That was the whole point about apostrophe. It's like, Mm -hmm. we don't have to land in the same place, but like the process and the, um, being in communication and being in community as we process is so beautiful to me, Mm -hmm. but I have that like academic, um, streak in me that really loves stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Well, that brings me to my last question. And I don't know, this might be a little, I don't know, see how you, what you think about this, but like, you know, we, all these things that we talk about and a lot of the things that have happened um, in this last year and stuff. And and we, we talked today a lot about like mutual love for Jesus and how Jesus would be and how he interacted with people and how he loved people. What has Mm -hmm has it been like for you as you like look to Jesus this in this last, you know, two years or whatever? Um, what has that been like for you as you look to Jesus? Like, what do you see and how have you experienced him? Hmm. He is more present and more active in more people than we will ever imagine. Um, and more than like American Christianity gives him credit for. Um, and I think when I started to release myself of the religion that was American Christianity and allow myself to see God as so much bigger than what we have made him to be, I have found um, so much hope in humanity and in his creation and what we are capable of. And it has allowed me to love people in a way that I haven't before. Um, and it's less about people meeting my expectations and my desire for them in this life and more about them finding who they are and mm-hmm. what they love and how they're created um, and being in, in alignment with that and having space for what that looks like for them and, and releasing control over what that looks like for them. 
Um, and it has just allowed me to feel much closer to, I think, the divine um, by actually knowing and loving his creation in a way that's less uh, judgmental and less controlling. Like, it's less like mm -hmm. it comes with no strings. It's just it's more free to to be what it is, which is wildly um wildly active and wildly like present in in all times and i think we just make we make god so small and i think he is i think he is in us and i think he is um finding beauty in in so many things that we don't give him credit for amazing i think you're awesome i love you <laughs> I'm a big fan of yours too, Susie. <laughs> well, thanks for being with us. Thanks for sharing a little bit more of your life with our listeners. I'm I am positive that they have enjoyed this. So until next time, Journey Now family. Thanks, Alyssa. Bye guys. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would love it if you would share a screenshot of this episode to your Instagram story and tag us at journey underscore TN. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app.